Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. Because it all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dale's Keiko Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Hello, White Sox fans. Welcome in. It is the Sox on Tap postgame show. Johnny Nani here alongside NWI Steve to recap a White Sox 2-1 to loss in the Bronx tonight. Steve, I titled this episode an eventful series of events because for being a pitcher's duel, low-scoring game, there was a lot that went on. Hey, yo, Johnny, you are absolutely right. There's a lot of little things that took place in this game today that uh, we're obviously going to kind of break down here. One question that I want to ask before we kind of dig into that, and it kind of ties into our little show open here. Are people mad online about this game? Yeah, I mean, I think people are mad online anytime we lose in any fashion. Um, but yeah, I would imagine so. I haven't scrolled the Twitters too, too much. Uh, post game is getting up, set up, ready for this uh, post game show that we're running here. So uh, I think it's safe to just assume that people are hashtag mad online. You're, you're probably right on that one because, yeah. you know, in other news, water is wet and people are mad online. Yeah, so uh, th- that's just the uh, the way that social media works. So, um, like I mentioned, a two to one loss here to open the series uh, in you know the Bronx tonight. Um, it would have been nice to get this one, especially with the matchup that's looming tomorrow, and we will touch on that and preview that one uh, before uh, this show is over. But um, let's start before we get into anything. I uh, need a little standard housekeeping here. Uh, Socks on Tap is presented by OnTapSportsNet.com, so you can go and visit OnTapSportsNet.com for all Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. As my co-host Buzz would typically say um we have uh, all of our white Sox articles are up there so you can go and check them out the podcast tab if you want to listen right on the site you can check out socks on tap and all the other stuff we have to offer right there um as for merchandise grandstand is the place to go uh, you can go shop online at grandstandsocks.com visit them on social media at grandstand socks steve Let's start with some news uh, for this one tonight uh, because we, we will get to some of the stuff that may uh, make us pull our hair out a little bit here towards the end. But a, a good one tonight uh, was Jose Bray returning. Excellent sign uh, for the team that has been decimated by injuries so far this season and uh, thousands of games. So I think that's something to celebrate for Pito here. No question. Getting the big man back in the middle part of this order is something that is a welcome sight. Obviously, they were able to go up to Minnesota without him, get two out of three, really had a chance to sweep that series. But that's a big bat that you you need in the middle part of this order here. They've got some notable uh, subtractions to the lineup here already this year with Luis Robert and Aloy Jimenez missing significant time. They can't afford to lose the big boy there. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. It's huge, and it's huge for the heart and soul of the team, too, uh, because, you know, obviously a guy like Tim Anderson is an emotional leader, but Jose Abreu is right up there and kind of the uh, unofficial captain, I think, is the general designation, both among fans and players. So uh, good to see Pito back in action, just a little ankle inflammation that he set out, rested that up through the Minnesota series, like you mentioned. It will take care of business for the most part up there uh, and get him back tonight. Uh, unfortunately, not much going for him, but there wasn't much going for uh, any of the offense, and that was due to the pitcher's duel that we had. Hey, 
Uh, I couldn't say I totally expected it out of Jordan Montgomery, um, but with what Carlos Rodon has done early in the season, obviously already throwing a no-hitter and being very solid uh, up, and even in that last start, well, it wasn't too terrible, just a little bit of uh, bad luck that got him there. Uh, but what would you like from Carlos Rodon? Because I don't think uh, the loss should overshadow his career-high strikeout performance tonight. There were a number of things from Carlos Rodon here tonight, and one thing that really stood out to me early on in this game was he really set a tone in the first inning utilizing his changeup, and that's something that we don't see from him with a high level of frequency. And I think it was important because obviously you're going up against a very right-handed, heavy-hitting lineup with the New York Yankees. So he was featuring that changeup early on to kind of plant that seed of doubt in the back of their mind because they're probably going up to think, and it's going to be heavy fastball and then wipe out slider. And then he he sprinkles in that change up there in that first and kind of keep guys off of balance. And he would go to it in, in some pivotal spots later on throughout the course of this game here, really sprinkle it in there, had some great sequencing with it at times, not using it a lot, but using it very effectively when he did overall. And the stuff was just crisp tonight. Slider was really sharp, biting, then utilizing that and, and some elevated fastballs. Again, a lot of really strong sequencing from Carlos Rodon tonight, and there was just a lot to like about what we saw from him here. Good breakdown there, and I think part of that was being able to locate the changeup exactly where he wanted it. It was pinpoint when he did throw it and wanted it, you know, uh, to sit in a perfect spot so the guys are looking fastball and they just don't have a chance uh, on that. So I, th- I think the location was big uh, with the changeup there, and obviously the slider. We we know how wipeout that can be. So uh, I could see him uh, get inducing some swords as pitching ninja would point out uh, on that pitch tonight. So um, a career high, like I mentioned, thirteen strikeouts. His final line ended up being six innings, two hits, uh, no earned runs, obviously no walks, and thirteen strikeouts, no walks. Box is big there as well uh, to give the White Sox a really good uh, fighting chance in this one. But fortunately, uh, bats weren't there uh, tonight. Uh, and, you know, we only had a few uh, scoring plays uh, in this game overall. Um, the, let's, uh, you know, kind of start with some significant game notes that started uh, here in the bottom of the third, because this is a play that you said you wanted to get into uh, breakdown uh, very specifically. So I will let you run after I set it up here. Uh, and you are one out single here and then Gardner uh, hits a ball to Nick Madrigal and I want you to explain the sequence uh, that happened and your takeaways from it here. Okay. So Madrigal defenders out there shield your ears. This is going to get ugly really quick. A, A liner right to Madrigal literally in his glove drops it. Okay, so so that's one aspect of this play here. So, okay, you know, maybe he just takes his eye off the ball. He compounds the issue here by not realizing that you've got Brent Gardner running who, you know, at this point in his career is not the same player he was. He doesn't have that same level of foot speed. Magical hurries up this throw for a reason I can't understand. Tries to spin and throw all in one motion throws the ball over over Pito's head and now puts two runners in scoring position with one out in a very avoidable spot here. And again, another mental lapse from Nick Madrigal. You and I, we were talking about this in the group chat um, earlier tonight. For whatever the reason, it seems like every time you and I are on the mic here, we always get the <laughs> Madrigal fuck-up play right on cue without fail. I, I think we had, you know, a couple of them last year. There's a Pittsburgh uh, series that, that we had, you know, the one loss that we had there, they ended up walking it off and there were errors by, you know, Madrigal and Grandal in that game. And then I think we had you and me for game two of that A series too. Mm-hmm. So I think it's just the theme that he knows that would work. It's going to be you and me on the Sox on tap post game. This is what ends up happening. Yeah. I think I was most shocked by, you know, sometimes you can make physical mistakes. Like you, you mentioned, like sometimes it just happens. Sometimes you just drop the ball physically. 
badly. You just, you know, whatever. It, it just slips out of your glove or whatever it may be. But I think the biggest issue with me here is what you'd mentioned, the kind of turn and throw all in one motion, just wild. So that's, you know, mental along with physical. It's like you didn't even have a damn eye on the spot of where you're throwing uh, by the time you got up to make that. So I think that's what frustrated me most. Exactly. And that's really where it comes down to having the awareness and understanding who was going down the line. Understanding that, look, you got Brent Gardner at 38, 39 years old. You've got time to at least set your feet, make a quality throw to first base, and then at least get one out in that situation there. We've seen this and we've talked about this and we've kind of come under fire a little bit from some defenders on, on a certain website that, that I hear is, is out there. Um, this is not something uncommon for, for Nikki, for a guy that we were told had a very high baseball IQ. And to see these types of mistakes, they have minimized here so far in the 2021 season. So I want to be very clear about that. But this was a, a potentially dangerous sequence that could have ended up costing the Sox the game. Now, ultimately, it didn't because Jose Abreu saved his ass on, on the very next play. And I, I think we'll kind of dig into that a little bit here. But these are the types of mental mistakes that you just simply can't have. And one thing that when we had done past criticisms of him and, you know, granted it was a shortened season, a little weird, funky season last year, and also his first taste of the show. So I think some of that, you know, was just young, you know, still being a little bit nervous, uh, you know, rookie mistakes, you can, you know, outline, attribute some of the, the past ones to that. But it seemed like, you know, after the, you know, kind of flare ups at the very, very beginning of this season, it seemed to smooth out for a while. And we we had actually given him a level of, you know, praise for some of the stuff that he was doing uh, in the field and then uh, on the base pass, too. It was better, and he would have one later in this game, which we'll touch on, too, uh, on, on the bases uh, alongside the error to go in the uh, field. But it, it, it sucks because I think it like the game slowed down for him a little bit, and then, unfortunately, maybe it was something about being under the bright lights of Yankee Stadium. And, it, uh, you know, it, it did uh, in the moment, uh, it overwhelmed them a little bit, at least uh, from my visual standpoint, watching on the television. So uh, after that, like you mentioned, big plate MVP shit from Jose Abreu uh, cuts down and you are at the plate uh, on a ground ball. Uh, just, you know, th that is what an MVP does. And he makes a nice throw there. Uh, Collins is right there in the spot where he needs to be applies the tag. Uh, and you are, I think it was, uh, um, it, it was he going, uh, that was later in the game going out of the line, but uh, that was right there. Cut down the runner home. And then uh, Carlos Rodon props to him for a big K of Luke Voigt, who is, you know, he, he can put the ball out of the ballpark too. No question. And circling back on to the play that Jose Abreu made there, Go back and think about when Jose Bray first came to the White Sox in 2014 and some of the defensive lapses that happened out there. For lack of a better term, he was really clumsy around the bag at first base, stretching too early on plays and simply dropping throws. To think that he we would be here in 2021 to see him really become what, in my view, is an above-average defensive first baseman. He doesn't have a ton of range, so he's not going to be like Evan White up in Seattle or, um, you know, Matt Olson out, out in Oakland. But I I personally believe that Jose Abreu is the best throwing first baseman in the game right now. And that was something that was that Paul Konerko was also very good at, guy who didn't have a lot of range. But Pito is very good with his arm, and he is able to go, and he's able to steal outs, making plays with his arm at first base. And that stuff is valuable, and you saw that come into play here. And then, like you said, um, Carlos Rodon wiping out Luke Voigt to get him get this team out of that jam, keep the score 0-0, and give this team a, a chance to win this ballgame. 
Yeah, absolutely. Steve. I think that's a good point about his arm there, too, because you can make up for some other areas uh, with some of your strong suits. And I think that's a perfect example of that with Jose Abreu. And obviously saw it in the out that he recorded here. So well, let's move on to a few other significant plays here uh, in the bottom of the fourth. Nice to see after a leadoff single by Judge, um, you know, after that kind of like little threat uh, before there in the bottom of the third, he thought, oh, man, this could be the point where they're starting to hit him a little bit. Uh, but he's able to just, you know, come back and wipe out Urshela Torres uh, and then induces a weak pop out from Odor, so I like that. Uh, and then in, in the top of the six, White Sox, good chance here. Uh, you would have loved to see it in heroic fashion. Uh, Jose Abreu coming up in a big spot after a Moncada two-out double. Unfortunately, uh, Abreu strikes out. But I think we need to tip our cap a little bit to Jordan Montgomery here too, Steve. Jordan Montgomery was outstanding tonight, and I, I think a lot of people – have kind of slept on him. That's a guy that I've actually um, have liked for quite a while. And he really showed tonight, you know, he's got a, he's got a very good breaking ball when, when he's on, he hasn't had the level of consistency to this point in his short major league career that obviously the Yankees or, or many other observers would like to see, but he showed tonight that this is a guy that has the potential to be a very capable mid rotation starting pitcher in the, in the big leagues. And he was using that curveball early and often to get ahead of guys and then to put guys away. So he was really kind of changing the shapes on it, depending on where the counts were and, and what he was trying to do. And th- this was just a, a well-pitched ball game by two guys that were just going up there and throwing some nasty shit. I mean, there's just not much else you can really say about it. And these, these are two pretty good lineups last time I checked. So like you said, Johnny, you just got to tip your cap to them. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Because, you know, I think on the other side, too, they, they, the Yankees fans, uh, I would hope uh, they could do the same uh, to Carlos Rodon uh, tonight as well. Uh, because, you know, like you said, pitchers duel here, but still eventful. Obviously, we've talked about some of them. Let's get into the first scoring play, unfortunately, uh, with Kopech in the game in the bottom of the seventh. Uh, Glaber Torres hits a one out solo shot product of this little league ballpark that they play in, Steve. Man. I hate it. You know, sure, it, it, you know the White Sox didn't do enough offensively uh, to to take advantage of that themselves. So I hope they are able to over these next two games. But it just is a pain in the ass, and it makes you want to just like throw your TV remote through the screen when this type of thing happens on a pop out. That it, and this is literally only a home run in Yankee Stadium. Every other MLB ballpark that is a fly out to right field. I can tell you from having been to both old Yankee Stadium and new Yankee Stadium. This new ballpark, I really would place it in the lower third of all the ballparks in the league. And it looks it looks nice aesthetically and everything. You know, they spent a billion dollars to build it. But I remember when it was opened, I think it was Ken Rosenthal who coined it a monument to excess. And that's really what it is because it's just very New York. It's just we have to spend a lot of money. We have to have this big, shiny thing. The park itself is just very sterile and boring. And like you talked about with these dimensions there, this Little League band box, it is extremely annoying to see that happen. Hopefully the Sox can take advantage of that tomorrow. And and on Sunday here, you know, maybe guys like Timmy and MVP Toe, utilizing that opposite field power that they have shown with great regularity. Hopefully they can be the ones to take advantage of it here tomorrow and Sunday here and close out this series. Yeah, I'm hoping for a yes bat drop. Uh, that, that's going to be my hope for one of these last two games where he just like puts it like three decks up uh, because, you know, with, with the power that he's That'll hit work too. These, 
you know, it, it just the, the the lefty pull shot because uh, we will be facing a righty at least tomorrow uh, for sure in, in Garrett Cole. But we'll, we'll get into that preview and all that stuff here. That, that was just a scoring play in the bottom of the seventh uh, solo shot off of Kopech from Torres. Makes it 1-0 Yankees here. But the White Sox would answer uh, in the top of the eighth. And we talked about some bad Nick Madrigal. We're going to sandwich it because then we're going to talk about some good. And then we're going to talk about a little bit more bad. But either way, let's start with uh, how the White Sox got uh, into the situation to score here. Um, Adam Eaton, pinch hit for Mendick and draws a walk uh, to lead off this inning. Uh, he advances to second on a wild pitch, and then Tim Anderson uh, hits a ground out to shortstop, a little bit of a kind of eh, little-ish slow roller, uh, but Eaton patient enough to wait up there until the throw goes over and then advances to third, which is huge here uh, because Madrigal would come in, hit that bloop RBI single, just throw in the bat, throw in his hands to the right side, uh, drops in, hit it where they ain't. This ties the game uh, at one here. Um, so before we get into, because there's another layer to this after this, but th- let's talk about this uh, sequence here. And I know you were, were a big fan of the Eaton hold up uh, and then advance. I was too. So uh, explain to me why that was so significant in this game. This really played into the article that I wrote for on tap Sportsnet here today and talking about this team and kind of the fact that they're not hitting home runs this season, but they're finding different ways to manufacture runs and they're doing little things out there. And one of the little things that they're doing is they're taking 90 feet at a time and putting themselves in position to score more runs. The only team that has been more effective on the bases so far this season than the White Sox has been the Colorado Rockies. The circumstances of being able to get 90 feet in that spot when most other teams can't, that played a role directly in tying this game. And I talked about this. I talked about guys like Tim Anderson and Adam Eaton and some of the other, uh, you know, Billy Hamilton's and, and Larry Garcia's of the world getting reads and understanding situations so that they can put themselves in position to get that pivotal 90 feet. If Adam Eaton doesn't get to third base in that particular spot, it's entirely possible that they, that this game doesn't get tight. You know, I, I think that in that circumstance, if he's on second base there, the Yankees don't have the infield up right there, and the flare that Madrigal hits, maybe Luke Voigt going back and, and can make a catch, and now all of a sudden you got two outs and a guy on second base. So right there, it shows again, 90 feet, being aggressive out there on the bases, being able to have proper reads, that stuff matters, and that's how you can win ball games in tight situations. Yeah, I like the section that you put in that article that you mentioned there. Uh, every 90 feet matters. Uh, it's just like, I don't know if you've seen The Wire, but every uh, every piece matters. Uh, that, I like that. It was a good reference there. I enjoyed that. So uh, let's, all right, this would tie the game at 1-1 here at this juncture uh, in the top of the eighth. Uh, on this next play, though, Yoan Moncada comes up and he hits a single. It's a little bit of a scorcher to right field. And Aaron Judge kind of fakes out Nick Madrigal by making giving him the illusion that he's going to catch the ball on the fly, which causes Madrigal to stop about halfway between first and second base, maybe a little bit more than halfway, uh, but then eventually gets double, not doubled up by force uh, the force out at second base when Judge uh, gets up and he obviously is a big guy, strong guy, throws it in, no problem, and guns Madrigal at second there. Uh, and the White Sox would flail out after that uh, with a Jose Abreu ground out there. Um, it's the magical, uh, like the compliment sandwich. You say something you need to, you know, improve on. Then you tell them something good, and then you tell them, like from Family Guy, tell them something you need to improve on. Here, man, it, it just sucks seeing this kind of, you know, still lingering rookie shit going on. Steve, the the base running giveth the the next hitter. The base running taketh away. That's that's another perfect example of magical not getting a good read on the ball that Yohan Mankata hits. 
not understanding and not seeing where Aaron Judge is playing at relative to that ball there and understanding that, look, he's simply not going to be able to get to that. So, you know, there is an instinct piece to that. And part of the issue was that he stopped about halfway uh, when, when he was getting a secondary lead there. But again, that combination of stopping halfway and not getting a quality read off the bat is ultimately what prevented him from being safe at second base right there. And, you know, if you if you're in that spot, you get first and second, one out, Jose Abreu coming up. Now, all of a sudden, the complexion of the inning totally changes. Yeah, it, Tony and Buzz and I have talked uh, multiple times, and I think it's the first time you and I are getting into it. But the butterfly effect, what if? What if that happens? What if, you know, alternate realities or, you know, like the, the simulation of the, you know, different directions or decisions that you make uh, and take and how that affects uh, the future and what happens? Like you said, I think it's a completely different complexion there uh, with Pito up to on there. So uh, but th- that was unfortunately how the inning ended, though. Like I said, Abreu would grind out to end that threat there. Um, let's get into more uh, of this kind of wild wild sort of uh, sequence here uh, in the bottom of the eighth uh, White Sox. You have Evan Marshall, or excuse me. Uh, it was uh, Kopech still in to start this and Anduar leads off with the single. Uh, Wade comes in to pinch run for him, gets second uh, on a ball that was dropped by Grandal, but he had a good enough jump. I think he would have made it anyway. And then Gardner singles. This chases Kopech from the game. Evan Marshall comes in uh, and DJ LeMay, who grounds into a fielder's choice, which was uh Tim Anderson, we talked about Abreu cutting someone down at home. Tim Anderson uh, cutting Wade down at home here uh, to save this. And then uh, Marshall gets bailed out a little bit on a hard hit ball. Luke Voigt to Yohan Mankata uh, lines it to third base uh, and induces double play here. But uh, th- thoughts from this uh, half of the inning here. My biggest takeaway from this is, again, Tim Anderson showing that awareness and that high baseball acumen, understanding situation, understanding where he was at in the diamond when he fielded the baseball, understanding who was running, what the situation was, and he made that throw right away. He realized, look, I got to turn. I got to make a throw on the move here. There's no time to to get set and and try to make a quality throw. It's got to be all in one motion. And again, this is a guy that just, I, I continue to harp on this. It is amazing for someone that did not play baseball actively or full-time until he was 16 years old to have the high baseball IQ that he does and for it to be on display each and every night. And it seems to be getting better with each and every game that he plays. It really is amazing to see from my perspective. Yeah, and I think another comment here, that's that's all great stuff, and we've talked about it a little bit here, but another one that I, you talked about, Jose Abreu with the arm a little bit, that's another strength for Timmy, too. He's got a cannon, so he whipped that thing to Grandal right on the money, and Grandal does a great job taking away the line, obviously forces the runner Absolutely. out of the baseline. That is how they, uh, you know, record technically the umpire called it uh, that way, but either way, he still tagged him, so you would, you would have had him regardless. He didn't have a chance to get to the plate, but just all around there, I think that's a good utilization of Timmy's arm strength and just the awareness, obviously, uh, to put himself in that spot to do it and then the uh, physical traits uh, to be able to come through and uh, complete the play so uh, that got the White Sox out of some damage in uh, the bottom of the eighth in the top of the ninth we get a Roldis Chapman in the game now and Yerman Mercedes leads off of the walk Hamilton comes in to pinch run for him Lurie Garcia with a bunt and it uh, you know Chapman falls off uh, to that third base side and Garcia puts it down the first baseline Chapman mishandles it a little bit. So you got guys on first and second here. And then, of course, the most that's so White Sox thing ever. Triple play. Andrew uh, Vaughn grounds a ball to third base, and they turn it all the way around the horn for three outs right there. Uh, man, Steve, the chances of this are ridiculously low. It, it is that's so White Sox to a T. 
Yeah, I don't know what you really can say about this other than throw your hands up at the, at the situation just from a probability standpoint to think that that is going to happen in that spot where he's going to hit a ball hard and take Urshel right to the bag so he can start that triple play. You, you just you can't possibly imagine that scenario. And I know they were talking about this on the broadcast of, oh, well, maybe Ad, they should have had Andrew Vaughn bunt. Look, Andrew Vaughn's a guy that won the Golden Spikes when, when he was in college. I can't imagine he has been asked to bunt since he was maybe like seven or eight years old at this point. So I don't particularly think that was a good spot. I was honestly surprised, and I really thought, and maybe it was just a function of the fact that the at-bat didn't get deep enough, that Billy Hamilton was going to try to swipe third base mm -hmm. because we've seen this. It is significantly easier for a base dealer to get third base on a left-handed pitcher and I would think Billy Hamilton having played with a role this chat would, would probably understand his cadence and how he tries to hold runners at second base there so I was really looking for that to happen there and it probably there probably would have been an attempt in that particular spot right there had the bat gotten deep enough but unfortunately it didn't yeah it just uh, you know it, it sucks because it's a like you said, throw your hands up. I, you know, what, what, how am I coping with them? And, you know, have some beers. Like that's, that's about all I could do uh, in that situation. And yeah, if the at bat goes a little deeper, it's like the, once again, the butterfly effect in the play. Hey, what if Vaughn hits the ball a little bit further uh, to into that, you know, into the hole uh, in between the shortstop and third baseman there instead of right at and taking Urshela to the bag uh, at third? It's like, you know, unfortunate series of events. That's how it played out, though, uh, would get the Yankees out of that threat there uh, with two on and no out uh, thanks to the triple play. Uh, and and then in the ninth, Evan Marshall comes back out. Steve, uh, I'll just say it right away. I probably would have just gone uh, to Hendricks here uh, at this spot. You know, I, I'm not a fan of the playing for uh, the later uh, sort of, you know, possible save uh, in a later situation here, man. Um, and you had talked about it a little bit to me earlier about Marshall getting lit up by righties a little bit. And what does he do? Uh, allows three straight singles uh, to end this ball game. It was Judge with the leadoff single or Shella, uh, the second one. And then Glaber Torres drives in his second of the game, uh, the game winning run. Uh, with an RBI single through the left side, uh, and that was it. 2-1 Yankees take this game. Thoughts uh, lasting? How would you have handled it? I definitely would have gone to Hendricks myself in, in that spot. Look, this is a guy that was the prized uh, acquisition of your offseason. You know, you spent $54 million on, on this guy or whatever the whatever the number was. And the idea with bringing him in was that you didn't just have to utilize him in the ninth inning to get three outs when you have a lead. You know, the idea and the belief was that you were going to be able to utilize him in tie games in tight spots where you just simply needed outs. And even if you go back to that bottom of the eighth inning, the Luke Voigt line double play lineup to Yohan Makata, he hit the piss out of that ball. So really, there were four straight right-handed hitters that torched Evan Marshall pretty good. In, in that sequence there. So that was definitely something that you can absolutely second guess uh, as from a decision-making standpoint was, you know, should Marshall have come back out there for the ninth inning? Personally, I would have definitely gone to Hendricks in that spot. Um, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, you know, it's just play for what's in front of you right there. That next inning is what I think the mentality should be, especially in this era of kind of, you know, picking and choosing your matchups so much. And maybe in like the old, not old school, but even into the early like 2000s, that might be a more kind of widely applied strategy that you're, you know, saving the closer for the closer role or whatever it may be for for the actual save situation. But in this, you need the high leverage outs. You know, the Yankees are, you know, 
let's not let an early season little slump by them. They haven't played much better ball lately uh, and injuries to, to detract from the talent that they have up and down the lineup. So it is hard to get these guys out, especially in crunch time. Uh, so I definitely would have gone to the guy that you pay to get out in crunch time. And hey, if, if Hendricks lets that up, you know, so be it. That, that happens, and we have seen him, too. He has gotten hit. You know, people talked about going to Hendricks instead of Marshall uh, after Kopech uh, in the situation uh, earlier. Um, but, you know, he very well could have. Uh, you know, obviously, Marshall got lucky with the line out to uh, Mancata that started double play. Hendricks very easily could have let up a single there, too. But it's just, I think, putting yourself in the best spot to win. I think that's uh, that's the bottom line here, uh, how I would have gone about it. But either way, uh, that, that wraps up game one. Uh, 2-1 loss, unfortunately, for the White Sox to open this year. But we'll be right back at it. And it's a quick turnaround because it's a day game. Uh, 12.05 p.m. start central time here um, against these Yankees again. It'll be Garrett Cole and Dylan Cease. So, Steve, I think it should be a good one. What are we expecting from this matchup? First, I just want to say I love Saturday afternoon day baseball. That is like one of my favorite things on planet Earth. You know, you get this game in there nice and early. You get the quick turnaround. Hopefully you go, you get a White Sox winner, and then you got your whole rest of your night to go out and and enjoy and 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 just celebrate a good White Sox victory. It's going to be a real tough one tomorrow. Look, Garrett Cole, in my opinion, I think is the second best pitcher in the sport, behind only Jacob Degrom on the other side of uh, of New York. There, interesting little factoid about about Garrett Cole here in his last start, which admittedly was probably the worst start of his season here against the Texas Rangers, a start in which he gave up five earned runs. He set a modern-day record going back to 1893 where he had 61 strikeouts since his last previous walk. That is a modern-day record. So you're talking about a guy with high-octane electric stuff and pinpoint control and command. So the Sox offense is going to have their work cut out for them tomorrow here. So they're going to have to be looking for fastballs elevated at the top third of the strike zone, and then he's going to utilize a a hard-biting slider down and away, particularly to right-handed hitters to put them put them away. But this is a guy, he's coming at you with that fastball from the outset, and, and they're going to see it early, and they're going to see it often, and they got to be ready for it because it's one of those high-spin, riding fastballs. So look up in the zone on it and just try to string together some quality at-bats the overwhelming likelihood is Garrett Cole's not going to issue a lot of free passes in there, but you got to try to work them as, as much as you can within reason here. But at the same time, you fall behind in 0-2 counts with this guy, you're in some serious trouble. Flip yeah, side of it, that. Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah, go ahead. No, no, no. I was just going to agree with you there. Flip, flip side of that, Dylan Cease. Just got to kind of see some of what we saw today from Carlos Rodon. I think Rodon really set a blueprint of there of needing to utilize three pitches, even if it's just that changeup, just as a show me third offering. And we've kind of seen that from Carlos or, or excuse me, from Dylan, uh, his last couple of times out there kind of utilizing changeups, even up in the strike zone, similar to what Lucas Giolito does. But I think if he's able to utilize that establish fastball command, that's always going to be the most important thing for Dylan Cease out there, get ahead with that fastball early and often so that you can utilize the breaking ball to put guys away and he's going to be in a good spot if he can do that. 
Yeah, I would agree. Fastball command is huge. It is number one priority for Dylan Cease because when that's on, the hammer just looks so much better and you're able to use it in the spots that you want to. And it, it's never going to be a strike because you're just going to be burying that thing in the dirt, but they're going to be chasing it uh, like crazy. You saw guys chasing Rodon slider. Man, uh, imagine the action on that if the fastball command is established. And I think we could see very easily uh, if the stuff is on for Dylan Cease and the command is established early, we could see another very low scoring game like we did tonight. Another pitcher's duel of sorts uh, i would imagine garrett cole will go longer than dylan cease uh just based on you know the, where they are at in their careers and their body of work but still uh, i think you could see a very competitive and low scoring uh throughout the first uh at least half of this game even a little bit after that so um i agree with you and then uh one thing i want to talk about we, we got into the specifics of the matchup here uh one thing that you and i discussed right before we jumped on air um it's the perception too because yes it's a tall task but you know beating them in in this game especially against garrett cole um yeah, that would be huge uh to further bolster the White Sox rep uh, and I think they have done enough to you know deserve uh, plenty of praise from around the league but I don't want the perception of you know say you drop this one tomorrow just because it's a damn good pitcher and so you put up still put up a good fight uh, and you lose two three you lose two one again or whatever um, you already lost a series and I don't want to be hearing this shit from the national media like oh well the White Sox couldn't handle the Yankees so that's what happens when they get out of the central I don't want to hear that shit Steve the, the scary thing is I don't even know that it would just be from the national media I think there there would be a segment of the White Sox fan base who even still at this point maybe doesn't believe in what we have seen to this point. They would say, oh, see, you know, they go run up against a, a powerhouse team and, you know, they they just don't have, you know, the firepower to, you know, compete with the Yankees. But I, I certainly agree with your sentiment there that we will definitely see that type of narrative kind of get furthered out there by national media types like Boop Nightingale of the world, like the Jules Shermans of the world. And it is just so annoying how everybody thinks that the world just revolves around the city of New York, a city that just has trash piled everywhere and is just an absolute disgusting hellhole. I don't care what anybody says. That place it sucks. Is. Yes, it does. So, you know, I mean, I just I really hope that they can find a way to scratch this one out tomorrow here, uh, like like you said. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it would be, you know, flip the flip the script on that, too. You, you beat Garrett Cole uh, even after tonight's loss and you go in a chance Sunday to win the series. And it's just a feather in your cap of uh, saying that you did because he like you, I, I agree with you. I am on, on track with your ratings there, at least through one and two. Uh, Jacob DeGrom, Garrett Cole, uh, number two. I mean, he's just a very talented player. You said what he's good at the baseballs. Some yes. guys just are, and he is one of the best. So uh, at his position here. So that about wraps it up here. Uh, fi- final thoughts uh, overall, anything from tonight's game, uh, anything leading into tomorrow, the rest of the series, uh, and then we can wrap it up and get out of here, Steve. This was just a highly competitive baseball game between two quality teams. This is, you know, Stone had talked about this, and Ozzy, you know, talked about it from the little bit that I heard in the uh, postgame show. This kind of had an October feel to it of two quality teams that just played a good baseball game, and unfortunately, a couple of things just simply didn't break the Sox way. Ultimately, the Yankees were able to take advantage of it and get a win on their home field. That happens sometimes. Yeah, uh, my, my last thing, uh, final thought is just looking ahead uh, for you got two day games and they're 12.05 our time. So obviously 105 where they're at Eastern time zone, but on your circadian rhythm, uh, that is still if you're you know, set in central time. I know they do a lot more traveling than you or I probably do uh, between time zones, but still your circadian rhythm set at right around noon. So it's technically the dreaded, you know, almost morning start. Uh, that they hate and they have not fared as well in day games, obviously, as they have in night games so far this year. So get out, be ready to go. I want Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu uh, to provide that G 
juice uh, and, you know, get the team energized too, because I think that's a big thing behind it. Obviously, you just got to hit better. You, you, you got to put more runs on the board. Uh, and it's, it is going to be a tough test, but, you know, you, you you could still get a gem out of your pitcher like you got from Carlos Rodon tonight and still lose the game uh, if your offense isn't getting it done. So I, I don't want to see a repeat uh, of that if that's, you know, kind of the way that things are going to trend. Uh, let's get some timely hits. Be opportunistic. You know, utilize that short porch and right. Those would be my keys uh, moving forward here. So uh, that, that about wraps it up for the Sox on Tap postgame show. Once again, White Sox follow the Yankees in the series opener here on Friday, May 21st by a score of 2-1. to one. We'll be right back at it tomorrow. 12.05 on Saturday, the 22nd of May uh, for game two of the set. Garrett Cole versus Dylan C should be a dandy. Um, make sure you're visiting on tapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. You can follow us on Twitter at SoxOnTap and at OnTapSportsNet. When you're looking for White Sox merchandise, Grandstand is the place to go. Go and follow them uh, on social media at Grandstand Sox. And you can go online and shop virtually. Uh, see all that they have the offer there at GrandstandSox.com. So, Steve. That's about all I got. Just enjoy our Friday nights. And like you said, get a White Sox winner tomorrow and then enjoy and celebrate the rest of the day and then re- rinse and repeat on Sunday. How's that sound? I love it. Let's do it. All right. White Sox forever. White Sox for life. <laughs>